and Carl's excellent podcast show. Hi, Carl. Hi, Rob. It's time to start relaxing. I hope we get this right. It's time to listen to our extra show tonight. It's time for my new stories and my wild style phone. It's time to laugh out loud together or alone. I'll be a record breaker. I'll review all of my songs. Can I get original or cover? Other interesting segments. And now let's get this started. It's time to get this started on the most sensational, inspirational, celebrational, innovational. This is our excellent podcast My hands are 
sake and mugs are crawling all over me. Son of a bitch! Are you a fan obsessed with Kim Kardashian's butt? Can't get enough of Benefer getting back together? Well, according to a Hungarian academics, you're probably a complete moron. New research has found that those who are obsessed with Hollywood gossip and A-list celebrities aren't very intelligent, which is likely to upset those who enjoyed reading tabloids and watching reality television. According to the study published in BMC Psychology late last year, there is a clear correlation between celebrity worship and poor performance on cognitive tests, evaluating both reading and numeracy. 1,763 Hungarian individuals took a 30-word vocabulary test and a digit sign substitution test before completing a celebrity attitude scale survey to gauge their level of interest in celebrities. Participants were asked to confirm or deny statements such as, I frequently feel driven to learn about my favourite celebrity's personal habits, and I am captivated by the specifics of my favourite celebrity's life. These are examples of celebrity attitude scale items that participants were asked to confirm or deny. Another yes-no statement stated, If I met my favourite celebrity and he-she asked me to do something illegal as a favour, I would probably do it. Celebrity... Attitude scale scores corresponded with poorer scores on the two cognitive ability tests, according to researchers. For a complete picture, participants were questioned about their earnings, possessions and educational attainments. Researchers couldn't figure out why celebrity obsessives performed badly on cognitive tests or whether they were hooked on Hollywood gossip because they were already less intellectual than the rest of the population at the time of their obsessions. In other words, it's not apparent if a lack of cognitive function is a cause or an effect of idolising famous people. As a result, more investigation is needed, according to the researchers. In an interview with SciPost, the researchers said, Further study is needed to back up these, their, their findings that a person's obsession on a favourite celebrity may interfere with their ability to focus on abilities that demand attention and otherwise cognitive abilities. So there you go. Are you obsessed by any particular celebrity? Oh, uh, none that I can legally uh, say about. Oh yeah, because you've got those uh, those uh, court. Uh, That's what orders it is. To, yes. To stay, yeah. to stay within five hundred miles. <laughs> 
of them. Th- well, no, it's weird because when I grew up, I used to be fixated by Axl Rose and stuff like that, you know, yeah. of, of the, the, and obsessed with the music. And then it was like, you know, John Lennon and the Beatles and, you know, Bono, U2 and, and those things, you know? Yeah, but I think, I think when you're at a, a younger age, you, it, it, that's, that's all part of growing up, isn't it? You, you have your idols, those, those people that you look up to, um, those people that you maybe want to aspire to be like. Whereas when, when I think you're older and you, you've kind of developed your, your your own kind of personality and your own sense of, of self, then you know that that's the time to start living your own life and, and to, to stop living your kind of existence through the lives of other people, as in the celebrities or the uh, the, the, the well, real life programs. Um, what are they called? Oh. Um... Yeah, I know the ones like Big Brother. Reality, and, reality uh, TV. Reality yeah. shows. Yeah. Yeah. Unreality TV, I find. Well, this yeah. is the thing. When we were growing up, you know, when I said about, you know, the likes of Axel Rose and, you know, Bono and everything else, they were proper celebrities. They weren't yeah. like now where you get someone from Made in Essex or, or whatever it is. Um, and you just think generally, what value, what worth do they have? Why do I give two monkeys about it? And it reminded me. That news story reminded me of this gig at the Barbican in London, and it was called um, Room 21, and it was Chili Gonzalez and Jarvis Cocker, and it was to do with this room in this extravagant hotel. He was saying about how celebrities, you know, like the golden age, like you would go to a cinema and you would mm-hmm. be sat in front of a massive screen and you would see these celebrities and they would be massive, larger than life. You wouldn't see or hear them. You'd see them on the golden, uh, on the red carpet, going to the you know shows or for the you know the premieres or for award ceremonies. But other than that, it was bang gated communities. You never heard a diddles about mm-hmm. anything. And then slowly, as time has progressed, like screens have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. And now we've got these things in the you know our phones. You know we can stream anything. And everyone's posting this, that, and the other. So the accessibility is is there. You know, if, if you're not kind of following them, somebody else is, and someone will post something and gossip and everything else. So you know, anyone literally, because you know, when you see if, uh, just you know, YouTubers and uh, or, or influencers and, and and those things, you think, why are people so obsessed with somebody mm-hmm. who really, yeah, there, there is no value. To what they do, you it's know, that, it's so. that attraction I think to what people believe is is a better lifestyle than what they've already got. Maybe mm. you know, you, you see these people on YouTube and you think, oh, you know, they're, 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 these these vloggers and, and they're they're portraying this this lifestyle that that is it's only a, a snapshot of, of their everyday existence, you know, and and, and, the, and the other you know ninety eight percent of their life is exactly the same. As, as, as everybody else's with, with the same trials and, and the worries and, and, and challenges, but they present that kind of 2% of, of their life and make out that's, that's their existence. And I suppose people are, look for, for something similar in their own life, don't they? And, and when they don't have that, they, they live it through these other people. Well, anyway, we'll leave it there. I could go on about, you know, celebrities and, and, and those things and marketing and, you know, buy this, it will fulfill a need, but that need is never fulfilled because you're constantly chasing a tail and you know, the aspiration yeah. of, you know, a, a mobile phone comes out every year. Do you need a new one every year? Yes, of course you do. It's been a few weeks since the last show. Yeah. Um, so plenty of time to uh, to watch some stuff and some listening and, and everything else. Is, is there anything that stood out for you or anything you've been... Uh, 
Well, I know you. I've not watched Cobra Kai yet. I still no. haven't touched Ooh, that. Okay. No, no. Okay. We, been... we, will, we will obviously uh, chat on that when you when you have. The, the only it's show... next. It is next. Excellent, excellent. The, the only show that I've really been watching and keeping up with is is the Book of Boba Fett, which which I know you you're up to date with as well, aren't you? I watched the latest episode. It should yeah. have been called the Book of Boba Fett, though. It should have been called well, the Mandalorian. Well, it was the the, the, the I'm going to say sp- spoilers here. If you've not watched it, go and watch it or skip yeah. this bit. Well, um, do you know what? if you're a fan of Boba Fett, do you know what I mean? They release it one. They release it every Wednesday, yeah. once a week. Do you know what? I think if, if, if you're a fan, you'd watch it all because if you're saving it up to binge watch it, I find that to be, you know, I yeah. like the idea that Disney have, mm-hmm. you know, drop dropping it every week. Yep. I mean, it's like, it's like, it town. it's like, yeah, just like when they whack it all on and then they say, oh, but don't do any spoilers, don't do any spoilers, you know, like Cobra Kai, there's a lot of stuff where they're saying like, you know, don't do it, don't, don't, don't tell anyone the ending because I think someone tried to do like loads of Lego, they did like scenes in Lego, whatever it is, and they were saying like, basically just don't ruin it for, for people. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, don't release it all at once then, drip feed it, so then everybody, you know, yeah, let people wait, yeah. let people have that anticipation as yeah. opposed to that, that shitty culture of instant gratification mm-hmm. because people now want, 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 constant. And, it, and it's, just, it's feeding it this stupid thought that when people don't get what they want, then they get all kind of like, oh, I'm going to tweet, I'm going to at you and I'm going to, you know, ruin your business and no one's going to shop here again. You think, oh, I, you haven't got a receipt. I can't bring it, you can't bring it back. That's what a receipt's for. I can only give you a store credit because you don't, I bought it there anyway. So, no, so yeah, the book of Boba Fett. What, so, what are you thinking on it so far then? Well, I've, I've, I've generally been enjoying the show. It's not, it's not kind of lit, the, the fire in my belly as, as maybe the Mandalorian show did mm. or, you know, Cobra Kai. I know they're different shows. Um, I've, I've enjoyed it for, for what it is. It's Star Wars, you know, I'm a big Star Wars fan anyway. So any, any Star Wars is always appreciated. It's offered some some interesting insights into some of the um, oh, the sand people, the sand particularly. people, and, and, and some 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 of the other aspects of, of the Star Wars universe. But I have to admit, the best episode so far is the one episode that's got nothing to do with Boba Fett. Oh, what, the Mandalorian one yeah. last night. It was a great episode, great episode. But like I say, it's is is that a reflection of how good the Mandalorian is, or is that a reflection of of actually have we been? I don't know slightly well the mandalorian is what boba fett used to be right and i've spoken to a friend of mine simon at work and i think he's disappointed that they've they've taken boba fett and they're now taking it and he's kind of like now a calmed down character who then wants to you Mm. know tatooine and 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 manage that and stuff and you think well i wasn't expecting that from from boba fett you want to see see and you you want you want you want to see the the you know kind of almost the, the the Boba Fett as you saw in the Mandalorian TV show where he's he's just out there just just you know kicking ass and and he's he's the Boba Fett that kind of lives up to this this um, expectation that we've all had of, of Boba Fett and the character that's been explored in the expanded universe over the years and mm. and we have got a very different. Boba Fett to what we've had before and, and episode four I think it is there is a conversation he has about wanting to move away from all of that and into into something new and, and a lot of it's reflection of his time with with the sand people so we are dealing with a different Boba Fett than we've we've had before um, 
whether that's the Boba Fett we were all hoping to get, I, I don't know. Mm. I was going to say, dealing with like a different type of uh, Boba Fett, have you seen any of Toast of Tinseltown? No, no, I, I haven't Because it's almost like you're dealing with a different form of... To- uh, the, the Toast of Tinseltown seems more surreal. It's funny, mm. but it's, it's, it's kind of more surreal, I think, in, okay. in terms of... of what's happening I don't get me wrong I laughed I, I found it hilarious I think it, Toast of London I re- revisited all those things uh, Toast of Tinseltown I thought that was you know superb but um, you, you obviously I, I tell you what I will watch Cobra Kai you I'll need to watch, watch Toast of Tinseltown and so yes. next episode we'll uh, <laughs> yes we'll have a little bit more that's filler on, that's, on that's, that's a deal okay because uh, something else that you probably haven't watched is uh, Around the World in 80 Days with David Tennant? No, I haven't. I haven't. I just... All right. I just, no, no. And, and, and I they've recommended it to me. Stuff. And on, on the back of, of David Tennant and some of the previous things that he's he's been in, um, mm. some of the other characters we'll that he's We'll touch upon that in a little while. Yeah, I, I do want to give it a go. And it, it's one of those, those all-time classic... Jules Verne stories, isn't it? So, uh, absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it, do you know what? It's just one of those programs that you can put on, and it is just an enjoyable watch. You know, it's no effing and jeffing. There's no blood and guts and gore and, and everything else. It's because I find the TV nowadays. It's not me being an old fogey or anything else like that. I'm in forties, you know. But I just hate the idea that they always have to be like some Scandinavian thriller that someone's been murdered, going around killing loads of prostitutes or something, or just this dark, dark thing of people being killed in all these different manners. It's like, I'm not surprised some people are on edge and just the, the, the mm. way that society is. You look at comedians, you've got Kevin Bishop, it's like middle of the road, Michael McIntyre, absolutely just dull as dishwater, right? There's nothing racy on TV anymore in terms of a comedian who, you know, is funny. It's almost kind of like, oh, I have to be, you know, Rob Beckett. Oh, I just find it all just, Terrible. I tell you, I tell you what, I did watch um, Mandy, which is um, Diane uh, Morgan, and she's in Afterlife, and she's also in some Charlie Brooker bits and pieces. But that is funny. They're only 15 minutes long. They're on BBC iPlayer. I would strongly recommend those as a kind of things to, you know, watch if you're on the pot or in the bath or in or in bed. Fantastic uh, things because I just. Obviously mentioned Afterlife. Have you seen any of those with Ricky Gervais? It's on Netflix. I've seen a few little clips. My my son's a big fan of, of Ricky Gervais in general. He loves right. his he loves his humour and the fact that he's he's prepared mm. to uh, speak his mind. Um, and he's he's watched some of those. And, and there's been a, there's been a couple of bits where he's I think shown me some clips or there's been parts of maybe a Ricky Gervais kind of compilation thing that he's put on to to share with me so I'm, I'm aware of of the show and, yeah. uh, and and the premise of it and and yeah it's it's one that i, I think i should probably watch because i, I do appreciate um ricky Joyce's well it's not it's not super super funny no i, I no, tell you by, by the end of it mm. i am i was i've never cried so much at a comedy not through laughter laughter but there's some bits you'll be laughing in one moment and then crying, mm-hmm. like almost in the next scene. And and they, and I watched the um, ending of season three, and excuse me, my wife was like, Are "You all right?" And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah." And I was crying, but it was something like you know, you, you watch it and you have to allow yourself to cry. You know, you can be upset watching stuff, but no, it's. I remember 
talking Ricky Gervais, I remember seeing Ricky Gervais when he was on the 11 o'clock show and it was Ian Lee and Daisy Donovan. And obviously it was on at 11 o'clock and I was a student and Ricky Gervais was on there. He'd have these little sections and I think that's what launched his career. But I used to love the 11 o'clock show and then they changed it, the, the format. Ian Lee and Daisy Donovan weren't doing it anymore. There we go. So other than Boba Fett, you say you've just not really been um, watching no, much else then? No, just really not watched very much at all, I think, through work and other bits uh, going on. So not, nothing that I've watched. I um, haven't really listened to anything either. I've read, really? I've, I've read, I've read my, I've read my issue one of Hawk the Slayer. Um, I did that a couple of days <sighs> oh, ago. Of course. So I popped on the old Hawk the Slayer soundtrack and um, was uh, reading through issue one, which is, which is, which is good. Introduces a couple of new characters in there. Um, continues the story on, obviously from from what we had in the movie. Um, but it, it's, 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 you know, it is a different format. That that movie is is. Is, is just there's just something special about it as as, as you know we've, we've discussed this already um mm. having hawk in a different format is is you know it's the first issue give it a couple more and you'll get used to the i'm sure get used to, used to the, the, the format of hawk in in something else other than the than the movie but it's hey it's it's new hawk the slayer i'm, I'm never gonna be uh you know, unappreciative of, of new hawk the slayer so um uh, i think so it is, is it after in, in the Sorry. So is, is it after the events from the Hawk yes. the Slayer movie? Yeah. Then yeah, it is. So this could almost be a precursor to them making another film of it. Then almost. It's. I mean, it's, it's hard to hard to say what. God forbid. It, it, you know, they'll never be able to do a. I suppose a direct sequel with with obviously the, the, the same cast as as they had. I mean, it would either be a remake, um, and then you go oh, into a, you know, be, different territory there, or it would be. A continuation, but it would feel so different because you'd have all different actors and, and a different. Because someone commented, didn't they, on our YouTube thing? And they're saying there was and there was no blood shown in the film. No, because obviously on our YouTube channel we have gone through the Hawk the Slayer. We have commented. We have done our own commentary to it. I think it was the first film we did, wasn't it? And the second one was um, Spiegel's. Biggles, yes, Adventures indeed. In another film which they, exactly, another film they threatened us with the bloody sequels. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's good. We should watch more films like that. Terrible films that never got a sequel. No, I'm joking, but no, it's um, no, it sounds good. I didn't. About? I've, and I've not read anything. I've been reading. My, I think I've been reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and that's mainly to my son, mm -hmm. and which is a bit like that's oh, nine plus. But uh, I have listened to, off the back of our last show, I bought um, Gomez, Bring It On, on vinyl. I was, I was following it on Twitter and it was like 27 quid and then it dropped down to like 17 pounds, like a double vinyl. I thought, right, boom, bought it. And it was coming all the way from Germany. So I was a bit like, oh, bugger. But it turned up, it was all fine, played it, sounded absolutely wonderful. And then, have you, have you heard of Spiritualized? A band called Spiritual Asset no, Bands. No. No. Oh, there's an album called Ladies and Gentlemen, We're Floating in Space. I was listening to that. That was really nice. And then I was having a bit of a chill out session listening to Ultimate Nat King Cole. And and then recently, I think it was yesterday or the day or the, over the weekend, I was listening to Neil Young Harvest. Because he's, he's having all of his stuff taken off of Spotify, isn't he? Because he doesn't agree Is with... He? Really? Well, you've got this um, podcast dude. Joe Rogan, who had an episode 
um, where he invited the guy who was the inventor of the MNMA kind of vaccine, the way that it was all made up. And there were so many falsehoods in it because just this Joe Rogan in the past has, has said lots of stuff which is incorrect about coronavirus, about how to treat it and, and all those things. So Neil Young was like, right, you can't have Neil Young and you can't have Joe Rogan on the same platform. So I want all my stuff off of there because you know, wow. he is spreading all this misinformation. 200, and, I think it's either 230, 250 or 270 doctors in the US wrote an open letter to Spotify to say, look, he is spreading misinformation about the COVID virus, uh, sorry, the vaccine and the virus and, and, all, and all those different bits and pieces. Because I think it was um, a very, very small, I think I'll mention it later on in one of my news stories. It tells you about the percentage of Americans who are vaccinated. And oh, we have some new listeners in Houston, by the way. Really? To yeah. Really? So um, board. Yeah. Good day. Good day. Is that right now? Well, Houston's <laughs> Texas, isn't it? Oh, we have. Well, that's, that's we have Cody, a problem. But, but when, when, we have a pro- we have a problem. <laughs>
A US man has become the first person in the world to get a heart transplant from a genetically modified pig. David Bennett, 57, is doing well after the experimental seven-hour procedure in Baltimore, doctors say. The transplant was considered the last hope of saving Mr. Bennett's life, though it is not yet clear what his long-term chances of survival are. He might end up in a bacon roll, maybe. It was either die or do this transplant, Mr. Bennett explained, a day before the surgery. I know it's a shot in the dark, but it's my last chance, he said. Doctors at the University of Maryland Medical Center were granted a special dispensation by the U.S. medical regulator to carry out the procedure on the basis that Mr. Bennett, who had, has terminal heart disease, would otherwise have died. He had been deemed ineligible for a human transplant, a decision that is often taken by doctors when the patient is in very poor health. The pig used in the transplant had been genetically modified to knock out several genes that would have led to the organ being rejected by Mr. Bennett's body. For the medical team who carried out the transplant, it marks the accumulation of years of research and could change lives around the world. Surgeon Bartley Griffith said the surgery would bring the world one step closer to saving the organ shortage crisis. Currently, 17 people die every day in the US waiting for a transplant, with more than 100,000 reportedly on the waiting list. Dr. Christine Lau, chairman of the Department of Surgery at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, who has a mouthful, was in the operating theater during the surgery. He's at more of a risk because we require more immunosuppression, slightly different than we would normally do in a human-to-human -human transplant. How well the patient does from now on is, you know, it's never done before, so we really don't know, she told the BBC. People die all the time on the waiting list waiting for organs. If we could use genetically engineered pig organs, they'd never have to wait. They could basically get an organ as they needed it. Plus, we wouldn't have to fly all over the country at night time to recover organs uh, to put them into recipients, she added. The possibility of using animal organs for so-called exotransplantation to meet the demand has long been considered, and using pig heart valves is already common. In October 2021, surgeons in New York announced that they had successfully transplanted a pig's kidney into a person. At the time, the operation was the most advanced experiment in the field so far. However, the recipient on that occasion was brain dead with no hope of recovery. What wow. do you think about that? It's amazing, it's amazing. Um, I'm yeah. sure I've read or heard that, that pigs are actually genetically quite close to... to yeah, very, I think it's one or two percent difference mm. in our GNA because um, they, they can understand, because we are uh, referred to as long pigs. Aren't we humans? Aren't we, we are, yeah, we are long pigs. Because um, a few years back, there was something I read, and it was a, and feel free, listeners, to use your internet to search this out. But in Italy, there was a doctor who was going to do a head transplant. And they had a willing volunteer, and I think he was severely disabled, like wheelchair bound. Um, I don't know the correct terminology for, mm -hmm. for, for what this, this poor gentleman was suffering with. But the idea was that they would uh, have a, um, a brain dead body and they would then uh, sever the um, the spinal cord in the uh, health, uh, say the the person who was alive. And he said, "Healthy person." But obviously, why would you want to have your head removed? They, there was this there was this special technique they were using that they they tested on brain dead people in that they would sever the 
the the nerves in the neck. They were able using this uh, like glue, I would you know, from a layman's point of view, and then that would actually help bond it together. So they said there were means to be able to do it. I don't know if it, I don't think it's been successful. We would have obviously learned about it, but loads of psychologists were dead against it because they were saying like suddenly to wake up to be able-bodied. They said the, the mm -hmm. sheer kind of psychological impact it has on all this. And going back to the, the news story, when I was a student, I remember watching this Mark Thomas, he was a comedian, and it was all about pig transplants and loads of people saying how wrong it was and everything else, but the people who were pushing for it were the people who, uh, the drug companies who would supply the immunosuppressant drugs to stop the body rejecting the uh, the pig organs because at the moment anyone who does have a heart transplant or any form of transplant they have to have masses amounts of immunosuppressant drugs um, to stop the organ being rejected by the body and obviously with with COVID and, and what have you they are they were obviously the, the most considered at risk you know group and, and those obviously suffer, uh, who are undergoing chemotherapy treatments as well because obviously they're immunosuppressant uh, so the immune system was is completely shot to shit because of the um, the chemo. Yeah, um, amazing, you know, advances in in uh, in technology, yeah. isn't it? Or in, Medical in science. science. Yeah. Modern, modern science, fantastic. You know, these these doctors. Yeah. And talking of doc and talking of doctors. Well, I was just just going to say you mentioned Doctor Who just just a moment ago, didn't you? In, in your news story, because you said that the, the Doctor Who tried to do this head transplant. I can't remember ever seeing that episode. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Funny. Anyway, what is... Well, I know nothing, nothing about <laughs> Doctor Who, right? Doctor Who? 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 Exactly. So, I mean, well, I, I watched it when I was younger, Sylvester McCoy. Yeah. That was the... We had four channels, so that would be one of the things that I should have enjoyed watching, but didn't really like the Cybermen, the Daleks. I just thought, just push them over. You know what I mean? <laughs> What's the, I, mean, I guess they've got a wide base to them and stuff like that, but mm. I, I hear tidbits of it, but it's like, why are the Daleks still around? Why has Doctor Who never been able to de defeat them? What is the purpose of Doctor Who? Where did Doctor Who come from? Was he born from an egg on a mountaintop? A bit like monkey, <laughs> or? Oh no, there's a show we need to talk about at a later date. Monkey. Crikey, yeah. Well, it's a shame we haven't got a video. Uh, well, uh, we have got. A, uh, we don't do a YouTube video because we could badly dub ourselves talking about monkey. Because that's mm. something I used to like watching. Yes. So please, Carl, enlighten me and well, our audience. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll try. Look, I'm, who I'm no, and what no is expert. Doctor Who? I'm no expert on Doctor Who. I'm just just a casual fan from over the years. It's 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 a show that that. I suppose on the back of Star Wars, it was it was you know science fiction. So it was it was something. Yeah, we had very limited channels, you know, three, four back in back in the day, and it was it was just a, a regular Saturday tea time show that 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 was that was put on. You know, it, it was it was very popular in its in, in its heyday in, in probably the, the the you know the seventies and, and, and the eighties uh, or early eighties anyway. So Doctor Who, I suppose I'll chuck a couple of bits of, of, of info at you and then obviously any, any questions, um, ask and I'll, I'll see if I can answer them. And I'd say I'm no expert, you know, a, a casual fan. So how did that all happen then? So, right, because um, obviously he, re he respawns, right? I get that. Yeah. 
So <clears throat> you've. So how did he? So how did he get? Started in 1963. First episode was broadcast mm. on the 23rd of November, uh, which was the day after the the, the JFK assassination. Just a, a little bit of, of trivia there for you. So, so doctor, the, the doctor is is a is a rogue time lord from the planet Gallifrey, um, and there's, there's a whole other load of stuff that's coming. A rogue what lord? That, that, that questions that questions his his origin, um, and and the, the the fact of of, of who this, this this character is, um, which which I'm, I'm kind of hoping we'll get some resolution to in, in the next couple of specials. So that a lot of things have been put into question quite recently over the last year or so about about the origin of, of the doctor but essentially through the majority of of what we've seen of doctor who he is a, a rogue time lord um so the, the the time lords obviously control elements of, of time they're able to travel through time in a tardis which is time and relative dimensions in space which is a, a craft obviously the running joke there it's bigger on the inside um which is due to its chameleon circuit, which allows it to blend into the environment that it, it, it goes into. And it, the chameleon tar, um, circuit for, for the But people could walk into it then, couldn't they then? You what, sorry? Essentially, people could walk into it. Yeah, yeah, they could do. Um, there's, there's times where he, he locks it and there's times where people have managed to get into the, the TARDIS as well. So that, that's the basis of, 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 of the Doctor. So he's going through time and space and... Um, trying to um i suppose sort of defend defend the, the kind of the, the the good guys or, or the, uh, the the vulnerable from the the evilness of of, of the, uh, the the galaxy so things like the daleks and the cybermen and the uh, um the, the sea devils um you've got sontarans the weeping angels there's absolutely loads of, of different you know, aliens and, and adversaries. The master is, 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 is kind of main rival as the Moriarty to the, 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 the Sherlock Holmes's doctor. Hello. Hello, are you rustling? Ah, oh, sorry. My uh, Google thing, office thing, just went off on one. Started saying about my bedtime routine or something. Ooh. I know, it's crazy. It's not even, that's <laughs> my, I don't even use the Google thing, so I'm like, right, I've got to try and get across the, got to get across the study, holding my bits and pieces together without them dropping on the floor. But no, sorry, go on, go on. Are you all sorted? Are you all sorted? Yes, I'm all sorted, so carry on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So first actor to play the Doctor was was, uh, William Hartnell. So obviously in 1963, it's 63 up to 66. Oh, is that the guy who looked like Charlie Watts? Yes, a little bit, a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Um, he was he was kind of the the, the old granddad type character. Um, so he was he was in the show for four series and decided to leave. But with it being quite popular at the, at the time, um, the people making the show, the BBC, wanted to to carry it on. So they came up with the ingenious idea that a time lord can regenerate. So as their body is is damaged or in um, in, in a kind of a, an element of, of, of basically dying off through disease or injury, it will regenerate itself, and therefore we be, we, we get the you know new new doctor. I heard though. I thought that they could only regenerate a certain amount of times. Yeah, there should be there should be 12, so, 12 regenerations. Um, so what doctor are you on that, or are well, you on that? Then? Well, um, technically. We're on the 13th Doctor, but there are some additions to that as well. And it, it was 
it was um, from, I think it was Matt Smith's doctor. There was, uh, I think that should have been his last regeneration or it was said about that being his last incarnation of, of the doctor. And uh, he was granted some energy to, to um, regenerate once more. And, and it's now suggested that that energy has, has given him or the, given the character an infinite number of, of regenerations. But again, that's, oh, that's, that's convenient. That, that's all kind of there's 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 other stuff that's come out recently within within the the Jodie Whittaker incarnation of the Doctor that that kind of goes even beyond that. But there's there's essentially mm. 13, 13 Doctors uh, that we've had. There's also a, a what's known as the War Doctor, which was played by jo, uh, John Hunt um, in a in a uh, the fiftieth anniversary special. So is not classed as the Doctor because of, of stuff that that character did. But again, that's a, that's a regeneration of, of, of the Doctor. And then we've recently they had... must have been... I say they must have been really annoyed when Paul McGann was the Doctor in the Americas. This is the thing I, I remember seeing... Because Doctor Who was off TV for ages. It was almost kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, don't 18, touch it anymore. It was it, toxic. Yeah, 89 it was, it was cancelled. And then the, the yeah. Paul McGann story was 96. Well, and the thing is, I know it's Americanized and stuff like that, and I just felt it was terrible. But obviously, he regenerated. Some of them pulled the wires out of him, and Sylvester McCoy, mm-hmm. whoever it is, was in there, wasn't he? That's right. But then, obviously, I thought, oh, okay, they're now going to continue to do it. But then they, they never did. No, unfortunately, um, unfortunately. So for so for, then, for the doctor, having it. the least amount of screen time, uh, probably bar John Hunt's doctor, he's actually the, they had longest, one regeneration. the longest serving incarnation of the Doctor from 96 all the way through to 2005. Oh, and was he not interested in continuing the role of that? Did they not even approach him or was it just very much like, nah? I think it was, I think it was just kind of, unfortunately, dead and buried. The ratings weren't there, the figures, the interest wasn't quite what they'd hoped and, and therefore, I suppose, as mm-hmm. the, the nature of, of show business, the business mm. element then, kicked in and, and you know, there, there was no, no de- or there wasn't sufficient demand for it to, to continue on. And then there was obviously Christopher Eccleston, because mm-hmm. he was, was it only one series? Because he yeah, said he that did. he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be typecast. Yes. It's like, well, you're typecast as a grumpy, northern, miserable <laughs> bastard. Yeah, he only did the one, one series. So, so um, brought back in 2005 by Russell T. Davis, who is about to take back over Doctor Who for its 60th anniversary, which is, which is next year. So uh, uh, that'll be interesting with him coming back. But yeah, Eccleston was only there for a series, which I remember being really gutted about that. Uh, I think it was announced either the day before or the day after that first episode aired. And um, it was kind of, ah, oh, you know, we, we finally got a new Doctor and, and all of a sudden it's, it's put into question whether it's going to continue. Um, mm. And, you know, David Tennant took over and was a very, very good Doctor, very, um, very sort of successful um, and well-liked incarnation of, of, of the Doctor. I did hear a... Uh, um I think it was Pop Bitch or somewhere I read this story about David Tennant and um, there were some school kids who were visiting the BBC canteen and I, I, I don't know if they were from a deprived area or whether it was a special needs school or, or, or one of those like send schools as they're called now or whatever it is and um, he went into the canteen where all these school children were having their lunch and they were like oh look there's Doctor Who over there <laughs> and then he immediately switched into character and went up to the wow. children's table and he was like, and he, and he was like, oh, 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 we've got to do this thing. And he's like, oh, you've got to help me and, and whatever it is. And he, and he really played the part well and they left. And it was like, it made the kids' days, you know, or nice. made the kids' day. 
And yeah, I've, I've, I've just heard some really nice things about David mm -hmm. Tennant just as a character, as a person. And I've never watched him in uh, Doctor Who, but he, like his big eyes, you know, and uh, everything else, I think he would be a fantastic Doctor to watch. And that would be the only probably uh, series that I would want to watch of the, um, mm -hmm. the latest ones. Because obviously after him, it was then the, the guy who looked slightly like his skull was trying to come out of his face. <laughs> Matt Smith. That's which, it. Which I, I loved as, as, as the, the Doctor, one of, one of my favourite incarnations of, of the Doctor. Why is that then? It was, I don't know, there, there was just a, a certain quirkiness to, um, to Matt Smith. And, so and more also, than... And also, yeah, the, the kids, that was when my kids really started to watch Doctor Who, so it, it became one of those. Oh come on! Shows. They didn't have a choice. No, it was on, but they enjoyed it. The, the, his first episode, I think we must have watched over a dozen times. They just loved it, and we just put oh. it on and watched and watched and rewatched as, as, as kids do with 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 things. Mm. And um, oh yeah, yeah. And you know, they, they they followed pretty much most of most of Matt Smith. Um, Peter Capaldi came along afterwards, and, and you know, they, they lost interest for them. Their Doctor is Matt Smith. And, and that's one of the, the mm. great things I think about Doctor Who as well. We all have our own Doctors. You know, it's a bit like James mm. Bond. You know, we grew up probably with, with Roger Moore as, as our James Bond. Mm. Um, and it's the same with the Doctor. I mean, my first Doctor, although it was, was Colin, uh, sorry, Tom Baker, um, I consider really my, my Doctor as, as Peter Davidson. Because um, I only yeah. have very few um, memories of, of, of watching Tom Baker at the time. I've obviously watched bits yeah. since, but Peter Davison was really my my. my I remember the yellow jacket with the red line or something. We used to wear them quite funky blazers, didn't he? I think that was his. Was it? Was it Peter Davison? Uh, Colin Colin Baker was the one with the really Colin um, colourful, you know, almost uh, Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat type Fine. type jacket. Right. Colin Baker. You mean Tom Baker? No, there's Tom Baker, and then there's Colin right. Baker. Flipping egg. <laughs> and so obviously I forgot about, I forgot about Peter Capaldi because I, I used to watch him in the thick of it in the office uh, yeah. not the office uh, the thick of it mm -hmm. um, obviously to do with um, Downing Street and or you know politics and stuff like that which you know I, I am not going to go into that but there we go all right so then after Peter Capaldi it was. Jodie Whittaker, current, current Jody Doctor. Whittaker. So mm -hmm. is there any whispers of who the new Doctor there's, will be? There's all sorts of, of rumours that keep flying around, as you do, you know, similar to James Bond, who's going to be the who's going to be the next person to take on the, the Who is going to be the next James Bond? And I don't know, I don't know. I thought I read, I read that Idris Elba might be the new James yeah, Bond. there's all sorts of names that keep floating around. And, I and, heard you might be the new James, oh, James well, Bond. I, I, can't, I can't say, I can't say. You well, know they've really... seen you in Eyes Wide Shut, you see. <laughs> what, I'm, I'm moving swiftly on. Um, what, I'd, what I'd love to happen with, with the new Doctor is that we don't find out until that, that episode where we get that regeneration mm, of scene. Of course, yeah. um, because it just keeps that sense of mystery, and it'll be so great for, for just to have that. In this day and age, it'd be within, amazing within it? the episode, as opposed to finding out beforehand. It's it's so tough nowadays, isn't it? Because people spot mm. things being filmed and, and all sorts of and all sorts of stuff. But some some of the names that are being thrown around that have been suggested that are on the bookies um, uh, sort of odds: um, Ollie Alexander and Lydia West, um, both from. Um, Oh, the name of the show's just um, escaped me. Um, it's a sin, which was Never written by it. 
Russell T. Davis. So, ah, so that's so, where they're so, saying. So there's the connection Ooh. there because David Tennant was in um, a program that Russell T. Davis wrote just before uh, Casanova, just before he took on Ooh. Doctor Who. So there, there's those connections there. Um, Michael Sheen, his name's been floating around for years. Um, and again, there's that oh, connection course, with yeah. David Tennant um, in that they both mm. appeared in uh, Good Omens. Oh, that thing about the, yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, by Terry that. Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Yeah. Danny Dyer of EastEnders fame has also oh, been suggested. Please. I would, I would, I, that's, that's awful to think of, of that. Sorry, Danny, but... Um, that's right, he doesn't listen. <laughs> Yeah, oh, I, I, I don't know, I don't know. But it, it's, it's like, say, the, the name's been thrown in there. And the last name I'm going to mention here, which, which, which is really interesting, is David Tennant. Oh, so he, I want to the, come back again. rumours that he will return to play the, the 14th incarnation of the Doctor. So it will be him playing a new incarnation, but he will just have the same face as he had as the 10th Doctor because there's, there's been a couple of times where the doctors actually managed to have an influence on, on their look. And apparently, according to the Doctor Who law, a female Time Lord has, has more, more kind of um, influence over their, their next regeneration than a male Time Lord. So there, oh. there, there's hints that, that it could be David Tennant, which would be, which would be quite strange. It would be, it'd be cool to get Tennant back, but... Um, I don't know. I think I think we need to give it to somebody new. Make it make it in, you know head off into a new um, new direction, new new person. But you know we'll we'll mm. wait and see. We'll wait and see. So if you had to rank your doctors from least favorite to favorite, would you do that or would you oh, just do a top no, three? No, no. I, th I think I, all I say is, is a top three, and and they're, they're top right, three for, for 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 probably different different reasons. Peter Davison, obviously, because he's my my first doctor. Matt Smith, as I've already already said, I did enjoy his 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 his. Um, his portrayal of, of the Doctor, I, th I think the stories were really, really strong. Um, had some great companions in there, and um, because the kids enjoyed watching Doctor Who, and again, it's just that, that that kind of family element of which Doctor Who is about. It's a family show. It's a kids show. It's a bit of fun, really, at the end of the day. And then, and then my third one on here, and they're not necessarily in that that order, is is Sylvester McCoy, and um, there was just a, a kind of a, a, a kind of a playful quirkiness to him, but also a little bit of a darker side that was that was being hinted at in his in his last series as well. And and Sylvester McCoy is just 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 great. And I, I have actually met Sylvester McCoy. Uh, a um, he did an event. You didn't knee him in the face. You didn't knee no, him in the I face. Didn't. Did you? No, when he was coming no. up the stairs. No, I've met Sylvester McCoy, and I've met Colin Baker as well. And and Sylvester McCoy was was he, he did a, a talk at the at the Hollywood Cinema and uh, just about his time on Dot Two and other things that he'd been involved in as well. And and it, and it was a great talk. And I went with my sister, but I should have gone with my brother as well. There should have been the three of us going. And he was he was quite ill at, at the time. I, I remember buying a birthday card because I think it was my brother's birthday maybe a, the, the, the following day and it was all kind of like you know the three of us were going to go out to, together mm. and, and, and do this thing and I, I, I sort of when we when we went, went up to actually uh, speak to, to Sylvester McCoy I explained that you know we were there should his brother should have been with us but he was really ill it's his birthday on, mm. the, on the following day or whenever it was and I asked him would he would he just write in this birthday card for my brother and he, and he did he actually wrote a birthday card out to, to my brother wow. and signed it. So uh, um, really nice guy, really nice guy. 
Oh, hopefully your brother's still got it. I would hope so. Well, okay. Well, no, that's, that's kind of shone a torch to uh, Doctor Who for me. It's interesting. And just going to um, check, check in a couple of other quick names in, in there as well, just some, some other bits and bobs. We also have Peter Cushing, who was in the two Doctor Who movies from 65 and 66. Um, Peter Cushing, obviously, as we know from Beagle's Adventures mm-hmm. in Time. Um, I think that was quite an and early... Star Wars. And Star Wars, yes, yeah. And um, some other names associated with, with Doctor Who. I just want to pop in there Terry Nation, who's the creator of the Daleks, and also the creator of another show that, that I really enjoyed watching, which was Blake Seven, which was out around about the same time, um, late 70s, early 80s, another sci-fi show there. Uh, he created that. And Douglas Adams um, wrote three stories uh, for Doctor Who as well. He was script editor from around about 1978. So, you know, we've talked on, on Douglas Adams there. He was, he mm. was a, a big... Doctor Who fan as well and a few other names I'm just going to chuck at you that have portrayed the Doctor in a comic relief kind of parody which was called Doctor Who and the Curse of the Fatal Death which was from 1999 so Rowan Atkinson, Joanna Lumley, Hugh Grant, Richard E. Grant and Jim Broadbent as well so some some very well-known actors and people from from obviously UK TV Mm. uh, and, and film. I would imagine it would be quite good, like Richard E. Grant doing uh, Doctor Who in the with nail and I mm. <clears throat> kind of slant. That would be quite funny. A very drunk and drugged up um, <laughs> Doctor Who, especially like, trying to get into the TARDIS. Because why is it, sorry, just really quickly, why is it a police box? Is it because it blends in? Yeah, the, the first story was set in 1963. Um, Even though now um, it would stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well it's got the comedian circuit. And uh, it, it basically... The what? Comedians? Comedian oh, chameleons. Circuit, chameleon. Oh, right. So it, it's to kind of allow the TARDIS to blend into its environment. And right. it, it, it's broken. So that's why it stays as, as the, the police box. And, and I suppose from a, um, a point of view of, of the, the show, it, it's iconic, isn't it? Mm, oh, of course. It's, it's it like the Starship yeah, yeah. Enterprise or the Millennium Falcon. It's that iconic ship that, or, or craft or um, vessel. For, for the, the doctor. Yeah. Well, it's better than the thing they used in Bill and Ted's to to uh, monkey themselves <laughs> around everywhere, you know, a phone box. But um, no, excellent. No, thank you. It. Um, so, when is the new Doctor likely to drop? Then, when's that episode likely We've to air? Is got it imminently. Two two more specials with with Jodie Whittaker, which have both been filmed. So we are literally waiting for those to to, to come out. Um, I reckon we're going to get one round right about Easter time. And then the other one probably um, in the autumn. And that's when we'll get the reveal of, of the new Doctor, or hopefully the reveal of the new Doctor, which will then take wow. over um, as the Doctor with Russell T. Davis, which marks the 60-year the anniversary of, of Doctor Who. So hopefully we're going to get some, mm. some big things coming from, from, from that. Excellent. Well, no doubt we will cover it in autumn at yes. some point. Yes. Excellent. Well, how we, we, I think it's time we have a song, but not just any song. This is an original or cover song. So I'm just about to press play on Richard Hawley performing I'm on Nights. <laughs> I'm <laughs> 
First question, as always, did you enjoy the song? I did, I did. It, it had a, a real vibe that it felt like it, it belongs in a, in a movie, or I could imagine it being used in, 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 in a movie to help kind of portray a, a particular scene. Uh, no, it's, it's mm. not a song. I've, I've, I've never heard at least this, this version of, of this song, whether it's original or cover. I like the lyrics to it. I think yeah. the lyrics are really good. Yeah, no, it's like I say, just just a really nice, really nice tune. There was something that felt quite familiar about it, but I really couldn't put my finger on it. Whether it was those lyrics, um, mm. I, I, I just, I just, I just don't know. Like I said, I've never heard. I don't believe I've heard this song before. Um, or if I have, well, you I've might heard, have heard it. I've heard a different version have... of of this song. Yeah, and and that that's kind of, you know, it 
and whatever version I've, I've heard it is so different to, to this one. That's why I don't quite mm. recognise it. I'm not familiar enough with the lyrics. But there were bits in there that kind of kept jumping out to, to kind of go, you know this, you know this, and, and I just can't, I can't place it. Well, I would say you might have heard it if you played my excellent, uh, it's on my, uh, you know that dinner playlist that I concocted for when we said about uh, inviting four people ah, to have yes. did it. And I said about whacking that on in the background. That is one of the songs off of that playlist. Yeah, because it's obviously a Richard Hawley song and uh, bang, they, they were some of the ones that would be playing in the background. But mm -hmm. um, yes, so the big, oh, because just, just I forgot to mention this 14 all as the scores. Is it? So, this is to, uh, to, 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 one of us is going to slightly nudge ahead of the other one. And you've done quite well recently. I've caught up, I haven't you've I? won yeah, three or four on the bounce. way behind. You were. It's, it's almost kind of, we go like one way or the other, yeah. isn't it? So, so here we so are. This so this will determine the, the next, next little the, run. The tension, the tension <laughs> mounts, as, as do I. So, do we think it's original or cover? I'm going to go, and this is a complete guess. I'm going to go cover. Unfortunately, it is an original. It is. Oh. Yes. And the reason I chose it was it had that element of, obviously, the subject matter that he's talking about, working on nights, working you know, during the day to get the money and, and all these different things. And just mm -hmm. this, the whole sound of it made it sound old. Because, you know, it's... Uh, so that, that is the reason why I chose that particular song. That is either the, there is a number of... Um, the other one I was going to choose from Richard Hawley was either go it was going to be born under a bad sign, but not the born under the bad sign that you would have heard, you know, done from boom, 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 that one. Mm -hmm. If that is any use to anybody. Well, no, there you go then. I've nudged ahead 15, yeah. 14. That's all right, next time, wow. next time. Well, always, always. So I don't know, you, you may have already seen this news story, but did you see the ending to the cult 1999 US film Fight Club has been removed for viewers in China and replaced by a screen with a message saying the authorities won. The original ending saw Edward Norton's narrator, narrator, sorry, they said the American way then, narrator, <laughs> killing his imaginary alter ego, Tyler Durden, played by Brad Pitt, before bombs destroyed buildings in the climax to a subversive plot to reorder society, dubbed Project Mayhem. In China, before the explosions, a message now says the police foiled the plot, arrested the criminals, and sent Durden to a lunatic asylum. The new finale tells viewers... Through the clue provided by Tyler, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan and arrested all criminals, successfully preventing the bombs from exploding. After the trial, Tyler was sent to a lunatic, lunatic asylum, receiving psychological treatment. He was discharged from hospital till in 2012. So director David Finch's film has recently been added to streaming platforms Tencent Video and Human Rights Watch describe the changes as dystopian. Chuck Palahniuk, I'm apologising, uh, who wrote the 1996 novel that film Fight Club was adapted from, wrote sarcastically on Twitter, This is super wonderful. Everyone gets a happy ending in China. The author added on Substack, how amazing, I had no idea, justice always wins, though nothing ever exploded, Finney. Dissident artist Al Wee Wee, YY, 
Dunno also posted a link to a story about the changes and the question, what would Tyler Durden say? U.S. Senator Ted Cruz, a Republican representing Texas, wrote, The second rule of Fight Club is, we will do and say whatever the Chinese communist censors tell us to do and say. The changes were flagged up on social media by outraged viewers who had previously seen pirated copies of the original. It is not uncommon for Chinese censors to make cuts to Western films, but it's more rare for them to change an ending. Some social media users made light of the new Fight Club ending. So have you seen Fight Club? I have, but a very long time ago. Very long time ago, I think, yeah. when it kind of came out on, on DVD. That's, that's yeah. nuts. That's, that's kind of like cutting the end of Star Wars off just before Luke destroys the, um, the, the Death Star and implying that, that Vader shoots him down. That's, that's crazy. Uh, <laughs> next up is Rob's Records. So I sent you Nick Drake's Mm-hmm. cello song yes i think have you heard of nick drake before you've mentioned mm. him on the show before i'm sure you have yeah i think uh um, a, a long time ago yeah, yeah yeah quite quite early on and uh i initially saw the name and, and my first thought was um was it nick crave and the and the bad seeds i thought it was initially him um oh, right, but, but no it's not it's definitely not him um and then yeah no, nick, nick, nick drake and mm. when when i started to, to listen to the song um i don't think we've we've covered this this song or you've you've had this song on the show before but there, there was some familiarity with with the style of, of the song and, and and the singing that it's like yes we've we've definitely had a mention of him previously mm. well i think what it might have been is a long time ago when i was in london i did a my own podcast called noodle mash and i did do a nick drake uh episode and i think you listened to it maybe that might be where Could you might is, have yeah. heard it a long, long time ago, because I think that was before we... Because uh, I think you said you listened to it when you are doing the ironing. <laughs> <laughs> la, la, good memory. But no, this, this song, um, cello song, if you haven't heard of uh, Nick Drake, I hadn't heard of Nick Drake until my brother, he'd come back from university and he said, look, you should listen to this. And it was a CD called An Introduction to Nick Drake. And the guy's on the front cover and he's kind of got this shawl or, or kind of blanket over him. It looks a bit like a rag rug. I was like, okay. And the first song on there was was Cello's song. I don't necessarily think it's his best song, but for me, it was the it was the spark that ignited the whole thing of like, wow, Nick Drake, and and just exploring his. I mean, the poor guy barely sold any records in his lifetime. Was not famous at all. First album was called Five Leaves Left. Second was called Brighter Later, and the third one was Pink Moon. And then, unfortunately, he died accidental kind of uh, suicide. As it, well, not accidental suicide. It was an accidental death in the fact that um, where he'd become like super depressed, he was he was living back with his parents in Cambridgeshire. He was he was um, on antidepressants and and taking sleeping tablets at the same time. But back in the day, they didn't understand necessarily how the mechanics of two drugs would uh, work together. Or my understanding, anyway. And so unfortunately, one morning, he I think he woke up in the night, went downstairs, had some cornflakes, couldn't get back to sleep, so he took some sleeping tablets and then they just kind of knocked each other out. And then, yeah, and unfortunately, he he died. I think he was only maybe 27 or something like that. Well, not not very old. The, part of the, the 27 Club. 27 Club, yeah. It might be uh, maybe even younger than that, but it's just a sad... When you, when you listen to his um, albums, um, like the... Like the tuning 
of the, the songs of his guitar, for example, because there were some unfinished songs that I think his sister Molly, or his mum was called Molly or sister, I can't remember, but a member of the, the Nick Drake family asked a friend of theirs if they, he would help finish off some of the songs and it took him a long time to understand the kind of intricacies of his uh, tuning of, of the guitar. I mean, I think for me, the the draw to to Nick Drake is, is, his, is his singing voice, I think is fantastic, mm -hmm. but also the production. The the um, the bass, the drums, the guitar, and, it, and it's you know it's a fairly stripped back sound, and it's just just it's just one of those things that I think back in the 90s when I was listening to it, not many people were aware of of Nick Drake, and so there's just suddenly like this gem of like wow, and then I think as I was getting into it, then it's almost kind of like everyone around me was was kind of you know into it. I remember um, I was at Norwich Station and I. I think I'd bought the Nick Drake book uh, and I was reading and I was waiting for my girlfriend to arrive on the train from London. I was sat next to this, this American girl, I think she had her headphones on, no she didn't have her headphones on, she was, we were just sat next to each other and I said to her like, oh you know, no she didn't have her headphones on because I think I asked her like what she was listening to and um, where was she going and just, have a, just a general chit chat, you know, I said to her oh, I'm waiting for my girlfriend to arrive on the train and, and we got talking about Nick Drake and I was telling her about the albums that I'd just listened to of his and I was reading a book and I said there's such a fascination about it because I think what she was listening to was similar like folk music type thing you know um, I, I, I don't want to kind of disseminate the music or anything else I'm not a music theorist or, or anything else like that I do want to start studying music theory I'll touch upon that later yeah I just there's a certain innocence, there's a certain, well, there's a melancholy as well mm. in, 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 in the songs as well. And you just think, what, what could have been, you know, similar to, you know, Jimi Hendrix, what would, what would he have been like in the 80s, you know, or the 70s even, like with disco, with funk, with, and then, yeah, the electronic age of the 80s, what would it have been like in you know, 90s, you know, and it's just, it's just, it's just shame. And, and similar with, with, with Nick Drake and, um, it's just one of life's rough deals, I think, in, in that um, he just didn't, I think he didn't like touring. I think that was the thing, and that's a big part of back then of really promoting yourself, mm -hmm. and he, he just hated the idea of, of, of touring. But I mean, how did you feel when you when you listened to the song? Yeah, it's, it's a great track. It's, it's um, I love the way that it starts off with, with that really, there's just a really great guitar riff that, that kicks yeah, in. Yeah, it draws you in, doesn't it? And, and I love the way that the instruments each kind of come in um, individually and, and it's kind of, you, you, you get the guitar and, and a bit of percussion and it's like, hold on, this song's called cello, where's, where's the cello? And then the cello kicks in, uh, which, which was really, really clever. And, and I love the way that, that, it, that it is um, structured and, and you've got those, you, you've got almost quite um, an upbeat, optimistic guitar riff um, and then you've got the, the melancholy of, of the cello and, and the, the, the lyric as, as well. And, and there's just that, that contrast between the two. And then, and then as we get to, the, get to the end of the song, I thought it was great how each of the instruments finished individually mm. and you end up with just, just that percussion bit at, at, at the end. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a great track, great track. As I say, it was the song that was uh, introduced me to Nick Drake. And I'm hoping that people who are listening to this show, this is, this is the, you know, Introduces to Nick Drake. Obviously, if you've got Spotify, 
you know, uh, seek him out. I mean, uh, I mean, there's YouTube. There's there's all sorts of, of methods of of listening to it. But do check out Nick Drake. It is a fantastic artist. So I think we should uh, listen to the song now. Cello song by by Nick Drake.
A US hospital has rejected a patient for a heart transplant, at least in part because he is not vaccinated against COVID-19. DJ Ferguson, I think is this, this name, not occupation, 31, <laughs> is in dire need of a new heart. But Brian and Woman's Hospital in Boston took him off their list, said his father, David. He said the COVID vaccine goes against his son's basic principles. He doesn't believe in it. The hospital said it was following policy. Uh, Brigham and Women's Hospitals told the BBC in a statement, given the shortage of available organs, as I mentioned earlier, we do everything we can ensure that a patient who receives a transplant organ has the greatest chance of survival. A spokesman said the hospital requires the COVID-19 vaccine, the lifestyle behaviours for transplant candidates to create both the best chance for a successful operation and to optimise the patient's survival after transplantation given that their immune system is drastically suppressed. This is, so there's still more of the story, right? But I, I find it weird that he's quite happy to take the immunosuppressant tablets and the medicines, but he won't necessarily mm. take the, the, the vaccine. So, yeah, it's against his beliefs. Sorry. Um, the hospital's carefully worded statement may suggest other factors lie beyond the patient's unvaccinated status for his ineligibility, but refused to discuss specifics, citing patient privacy. The hospital added that most of the 100,000 people on waitlist for organ transplant will not receive an organ within five years because of the shortage of available organs. Mr. Ferguson has been in hospital since last Thanksgiving weekend, 26th of November 2021, and he suffers from a hereditary heart disease, a heart issue that causes his lungs to fill with blood and fluid. The organiser of the fundraiser said Mr. Ferguson was concerned he could experience cardiac inflammation potential side effect from coronavirus vaccination and that it might be it might prove dangerous given the weakness of his heart the cdc encourages transplant recipients and those in their immediate circles to get fully vaccinated and boosted dr arthur kaplan head of medical ethics of nui grossman school of medicine told cbs news that after any organ transplant a patient's a patient's immune system is all but shut down and even a common cold can prove fatal. The organs are scarce. We are not going to distribute them to someone who has a poor chance of living when others who are vaccinated have a better chance post-surgery of surviving, said David Kaplan. A father of two with a third child on the way, Mr. Ferguson remains at the hospital, said his loved ones. Hang on, he's got a really weak heart and he's expecting a third child. His family has suggested he is too weak to be transferred to a different hospital and is running out of time. My boy is fighting pretty damn courageously and he, is, and he has integrity and principles he really believes in and that makes me respect him all the more, said David Ferguson. It's his body, it's his choice. It is not the first time an unvaccinated American has been faced health care obstacles in recent weeks. Earlier this month, a Minnesota woman sued her local hospital after doctors tried to take her unvaccinated husband off the ventilator uh, he had been on for two months. So just over 63% of the US population is double jabbed and about 40% of Americans have received a third booster. So there you go. I mean, it's a sad story, obviously, but um, yeah. you can understand why he may not want to take it because of the heart inflammation bits and pieces, but that is relatively rare side effect. I understand. I can say, you, you kind of, I suppose, weigh up the, uh, the, um, the pros and the cons, the, you know, what, what's the ultimate... Well, uh, the risk of having yeah, the, the risk, vaccine... Yeah. Or the risk as, of not having As opposed it. to 
well, this is it. And as as I, as we mentioned earlier, you, you know, and, and and in the news story, you have no immune system, and so uh, you know if. if if you're going to get a new heart, and then, as, as they say, you know, you uh, you die from from something quite. Um, by saying that, you could be vaccinated against COVID and then get the common cold, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then uh, that completely uh, buggers him up. But there we go. It's uh, it's a sad story, but again, I think these are going to be decisions that um, hospitals are going to have to make in the future about people who are vaccinated and not, aren't they? Yeah, and tricky, at, tricky at decisions as well, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, absolutely, because I think you know, like any healthcare professional, they want to save people's lives, mm-hmm. and you know that, that's what they want to do, regardless of you know your creed or kin or, or whatever it is. You know, they they see you as somebody who needs to be saved, and. That's what they trained all that year, all those years to, to, to do. So yes, very sad story there. Um, but yes, and the fact that he's got a third kid on the way, you know, it's um, even sadder. But I mean, how, how if you had a weakened heart, how could you potentially even go to uh, have a, a you know a third child? You know, it is. Uh, I'd be concerned about my heart bursting. Out of my, <laughs> you know. For those particular things, but maybe maybe I'm doing it all maybe wrong. A, a deterioration of hope from from the previous nine months. Well, exactly. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Yes, I touched upon it earlier. One of the things I've been watching was Get Back. Yeah. And it now has so in theory that has finished my kind of or tied the strings nicely to my my Beatles uh, story. Really, my my journey of listening to the Beatles. I remember. My dad getting the Red and Blue album on CD, and I was really, when I was young, I was really hung up on how long a CD lasted and whether I would want to buy it or not. So when I was listening, when I was going to buy these Beatles albums, which were like fourteen quid on CD, and CDs incidentally are making a bit of a comeback. It was vinyl, vinyl is still making a really good comeback. Yeah, but CDs, a um, yeah, they are slowly making a resurgence. I think last year saw them. Um, come up because they're saying they're a better uh, medium because of mp3s are compressed and, and everything else yes cds are compressed but not as much as the you know as, as an mp3 so people are reverting back to cds mm-hmm. um but but the thing is you get a laptop you get anything now there's no cd drives in it. it's all the it's all the clouds in it i've got a macbook pro from 2012 upstairs which has got a cd player and a dvd player on it if that goes i'm snookers i can still play cds don't have cd players do they no, exactly. You, you have to uh, Bluetooth it, don't you, uh, and everything. But yeah, so I used to be hung up about the length of CDs because I think you know, most of the Beatles albums were like 35 minutes, which is perfect when you have a record because it gives the space of the grooves that kind of chance to uh, give you a really nice, rich bass sound. But um, yeah, I remember a friend of mine at school, Neil Jackman, he said, oh yeah, he was mad into the Beatles as well. And he said, I'll lend you some of their CDs. And I was really mad into like the Red Album. So it's like 62 to 66, I think, of their career. And he, so he let me please please me and the White Album. And it was like the White Album, I just didn't get on with that at all because I was more into the poppy, you know, love me, do, please please me, from me to you, that kind of thing, and help, you know, the, the more lovey-dovey, kind of easier to get my head around. And the, the Blue Album just didn't really appeal to me you know it just it just felt i don't know just just too mature almost like uh, for it and then they had the the release of the backbeat um movie which is all about the um 
is a dramatisation, obviously, about the it had Stephen Dorff in it playing Stuart Sutcliffe, who was the original bassist for the Beatles, who unfortunately died in Hamburg of a brain hemorrhage. And then when I was younger, I went to London with my girlfriend at the time, Lynn, and I had my photograph taken at Abbey Road. So I'm just doing a light Fandango, Merry Fandango, over my my uh, my Beatles journey. And then I was I was mad into record fairs, and I'd go there and I'd try and get all these Beatle bootlegs and hearing some of these other bits because you know before YouTube it was the whole thing of trying to, to you know get these mm -hmm. things people didn't share them too widely and everything else and and then obviously the anthologies came out like free as a bird I was I remember waking up really early in the morning and getting a tape ready for when Chris Evans was going to be broadcasting on Radio 1 and um, fantastic and then oh, at uni I wrote my dissertation on the on the Beatles the three um, free movies and whether it was did the Beatles influence culture and society or was it the fact that they were the loudest kind of mouthpiece that they just kind of were able to kind of vocalise what was going on around them so what was that all about uh, it was an interesting you know, dissertation and and then obviously YouTube came about started listening you know I started spending hours just listening to all these kind of different bootlegs that people had uploaded and then obviously you had the goodness me like the 40th or not the 40th they had these anniversaries of you know the Sgt Pepper the White Album Abbey Road all these super deluxe editions and obviously the final one was was Let It Be and then finally there was the Get Back the Beatles and even though it was goodness me was it released in the end of November I think it was or early December I was so reluctant to watch it because I, I didn't want my journey to end. It's not something that I was really excited to watch. Maybe my 18-year-old self would have been you know, super excited to have watched it and everything else. But uh, yeah, and I've, it's, it's weird. I remember, not weird, but I spoke to this guy who used to work with the Pleasure Beach, and he said that when he was a young man, he was in, he was living in Greece, and he went to the cinema to see Let It Be when they released it, and he said he was sat in there crying because he said, you know, the, it was just a shitty film about a, about a band breaking up essentially, but seeing it in a whole new light and everything else. I think the first part, because it's a three-parter, the first one, I don't think was very good. You could tell that they were just all grumpy, sat around in Twickenham. It was cold. It wasn't, you know, that great. And then as soon as they moved into Savile Row and Billy Preston started playing keyboards, it just came alive. And, and it's just amazing to watch. It really is. And obviously the accumulation of the, um, the rooftop concert and then after that, um, but yeah, I just, it, a little part of me didn't want it to end. And when the, obviously the credits rolled, I was like, right, okay. You know, that, that's that. And then, but, and this is the thing that spurred, spurred me on um, a little bit. And it was, um, I've, I've, I've purchased the Hofner bass. I've never yes. played the bass before. I've, I mean, it's obviously there's that story where I borrowed your wife's uh, bass mm -hmm. guitar and I tried to return it and you didn't want it. <laughs> like, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologies. And um, yeah, no, I've forgiven you, I've forgiven you. But yeah, I, I want to get into music theory. I want to understand it because, you know, McCartney is a bass player. It's just, you know, I, when I was younger, I, I remember being in my English lesson and my English teacher, Carol Anderson, she was like, oh, she thinks McCartney's a twat. And I thought, yes, he's a twat. I like, I like Lennon, you know? And you had to be in one camp or the other, Blair Oasis, Lennon or McCartney type thing, yeah? 
But as I've gotten older, as I've kind of uh, appreciated like his bass playing, it is just unbelievable what he does and the fact that he can sing with it. And yeah, so I'm, I'm absolutely dead excited. And I think going forward, what I'll do as part of the show, I will try and learn some bass parts to some, some songs that you should know, hopefully. I will play them right-handed, not left-handed. And um, yeah, see if we can uh, get those sorted yeah, out. Cool. It should be, it should be good fun. Have you watched any of the uh, stuff on Disney Plus? No, I haven't, and I really should. It's uh, it's obviously a band it's that one we've, of these, we've, yeah. we've talked we've talked about. I do appreciate the the, the Beatles. Um, I mean, my level of appreciation isn't anywhere near as as as, as much as, as as yours. I mean, but, but you you introduced me to the Beatles um, <laughs> by by lending me those 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 sort of. Um, albums back in the in the 90s so uh, you know our, our, my journey began with with that and um yeah i've, I've seen I've, I've seen that it's on there and uh it, it's it is something i would like to to, to watch hmm. uh, it, it's it's pretty hard well it's it's lengthy <laughs> you know it's it's one of those ones i dipped into it wasn't the case of me sitting down for three hours at a time watching it you know i think they're two and a half hours each some of them, really but one of the things is they they still haven't released like watching the rain watching rainbows, which I know I mentioned on the show before and posted it to our Facebook. But there's like some Beatles songs which still haven't, you know. So maybe my Beatles journey hasn't finished yet, mm -hmm. you know. But um, the the song that I've chosen is from the Let It Be album. I remember when my brother, I was still at home at college. My brother had gone off to university. Me and my brother were really close. We used to do loads, we, we, we were best friends basically growing up. And so when he left, I was quite sad. So when I used to, whenever we'd get picked up, I'd go with my dad in the car and I made this compilation tape and I kept it. And um, so when we were in the car, I was like, oh Matt, look, I, I put this in. And we put the tape in and the first song was two of us because obviously we had the long road cool. back from mm. Yeovil to, to Yarmouth. And it was just like, yeah, and, and then I just apply that to all sorts of different things. I can apply it to you, know, apply it to you and I, you know, when you hear this song and stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's just, just a really lovely, lovely song. And um, the end of my journey.
I don't know if I told you when, when I bought my um, well when I bought my base, I also got offered a 42 inch TV for a bargain price. Yeah, due to the volume button being stuck on full, and I thought to myself, how can I turn that down? <laughs> Bit of the bubbly.